Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. I want to talk to you today on a thought about uh, law of love or love of the law. Law of love or love of the law. And so I'm going to be reading from Matthew, uh, Matthew 22, and start in verse 36. Okay, verse 36, Matthew 22, it says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, Father, we just bless your name today, God, and I ask for your blessing upon this message and your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So probably somewhere around two weeks ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer, I know it was at least over a little over a week ago, uh, I woke up um, real early in the morning with a lot of different stories running through my head. And um, that's just sometimes that happens to me. That's why I tell a lot of stories, because a lot of times that's what speaks to me. And um, I knew it wasn't just a random thought. And so... Um, uh, I decided I didn't want to wake Heather up, so I just rolled over and I got my phone and I typed these stories, uh, different little things about stories into my phone. And uh, I wasn't sure what to do with it because actually some of the stories I have used in sermons before. And uh, I mean, I reuse stories like everybody else. It's not a big deal, but I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with these. So I started looking through old sermons that I had uh, had preached before and uh, trying to figure out, you know, is God wanting me to, to preach one of these sermons again? Is, is uh, he wanting me to revisit a topic and try and, ch- and change something up? And I just never really felt like I was supposed to do that. I couldn't get a clear direction on what to do with these stories that kept running through my head. And so I kept thinking about it and uh, would pull my phone out and look at the note again to see which, what, what exactly if I was missing any of the stories. And then I started uh, getting this idea that what if all these stories go together? And so uh, I was talking with Heather, was it Wednesday, Tuesday? Tuesday, I believe, this week, and I, and I said, I need you to sit down and l- let me run this by you right quick and help me think this out. And so uh, she had to sit there and listen to me ramble. And uh, she said, yeah, I think they might go together. So I apologize at the beginning of this message that there's a lot of stories. And uh, if you like stories, you might like the message. If you don't, then try to endure it because... I feel like God has a purpose in this for someone uh, today. And so I want to talk on that, the, the law of love or the love of the law. And so uh, I put these two books up here. They're actually the same book, 
but I wasn't sure, so I bought both of them. It's just this, this red book has, um, has some other stories in it as well. This one's just the one on love. And this is by Henry Drummond. Has anybody ever heard of Henry Drummond? Henry Drummond has written the greatest book that's ever been written on love other than the Bible. Uh, and uh, this came about, um, this book is 32 pages. I've had people give me books to read before that they've written. It's like 300 and some pages. And this guy just, he just, he'll shake you all up in 32 pages. It's got, you know, it's an older style of writing uh, because uh, uh, when he first talked on love for the first time when he was, uh, I guess, found was like 1894 or something like that, 1884, some, somewhere in there with D.L. Moody. But this book, any great book you've ever writ, uh, read on love, this is probably... Uh, where they got a lot of their stuff. So I'm recommending this to any to everyone here. It's called The Supreme Gift, The Greatest Thing in the World is what you look for. The Greatest Thing in the World by Henry Drummond. But uh, I was reading a book on love, and he kept talking about Henry Drummond, so I figured maybe I should go to the source, and I found it. But basically, he was at a campfire with D.L. Moody, and uh, they were doing some kind of uh, crusade or something, and... Um, and everyone was wanting D.L. Moody to talk at the campfire. And so uh, he says he's too tired from all that they're doing. Why don't y'all get Henry to do it? And so the Henry decides to, he pulls out a New Testament out of his pocket, and he goes to 1 Corinthians 13, and he just starts just ripping the thing apart about Paul talking about love, the love chapter. And uh, when he did, it blew D.L. Moody away so much, he sent him to go sp uh, speak on this to all the students at his Bible college and started making it mandatory every single year that, he, that they had to hear this address. And then after that, it was put in writing, and then they read it to him. And I'm not sure what they're doing, doing now, but he just, he, he just destroys it when it comes to love. So I, this, The Greatest Thing in the World by Henry Drummond. Please check that book out. But in this book, he starts talking about even the nine characteristics of love and he because in that scripture, in that chapter 13, Paul actually compares love to light uh, in one part of it. And so he breaks down the nine characteristics of love and how they go with the nine different colors that you get when you shine light through a prism. So, I mean, like, this guy's smart. And, uh, but he gets to the end because he's at the end of the chapter when it says, and we have these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we all know that part. And we just all think that's just so heartwarming, but we never give it any thought. And so he gives it some thought in this book and what he talks about how uh, faith, hope, and love, love's the only one that's eternal. Because when we're in heaven with God, we're not going to need faith anymore. We're not going to need hope anymore. But love will last on forever and ever and ever. It is the greatest gift because it is the eternal gift. It's the gift that the Father gave us. All these different things that he... He brings out, but so many times we just throw the word love around and don't really realize how powerful it is, how important it is in our lives. We're after all these things we think are important. And, you know, you hear people, they talk about, well, I'm thinking about eternity. You know, you should, don't need to think about the temporary. You need to think about the eternal, but yet they give, they're, sometimes they're some of the most hateful people that you've ever, ever met because they don't understand the importance of love and being a person of love and living by the law of love. And that's what we've been called to do. From the scripture we just read this morning, we can see it. We're called to love God. We're called to love our neighbor. But if we're not careful, it's really easy to move away from the law of love into a love of the law. And what happens with that, and it happens to good Christian people all the time, 
is that we get to a place where we're more concerned about being right than we are about having relationship. We're more concerned about winning the argument than winning the friendship. We get to a place where we're, we feel like we have to have these certain requirements and people have to meet those requirements before they can get our love or they can get our respect or our honor. And see, many times we end up in this place, not, we, don't mean to, we don't mean to get to this place because no one wants to have that attitude that turns people off and that it causes uh, you know, harm to people. But we get there because we have a lack of identity and or because we've been hurt ourselves. And so what happens when we don't know our identity, our identity is we're sons and daughters of God. But when we don't recognize that, what we do is we can continue to create a love for the law in our lives and in other people. We train them to be that way. They do it all the time in a, in a lot of churches. Uh, Jack Winter says this, Servants can only bring others to a master. Sons are the ones who can point others to a father. When you think about that statement and think about the way a lot of things, uh, what, the way a lot of people approach things in the church, it makes a lot of sense. Servants can only bring others to a master. Sons are the ones who can point others to their father. You see, yes, we're called to be servants of God, but our identity is not as a servant of God. Our identity is sons and daughters of God. And servants, they live with the love of the law because they need to know what's expected. I got to do this, this, and this so that I keep the master happy. I got to do, I got to make sure this is taken care of, that's taken care of. But sons and daughters are supposed to be different. We're supposed to live by the law of love. We, we, we do serve God. We are His servants in a way, but that's not our identity. That's what we do. It's different. And then you have people that have been hurt in the past, and so they, they develop a love of the law. And what, the reason that you do this, because we've all done it. Every person in here has done it. We develop this love of the law because for some reason we think that we can keep ourselves from being hurt again if we have enough rules. If we can just do this, then it'll never happen again to me. It'll never happen again to my, to my family. And, and as children of God, we need to live by the law of love, and we have to give up the right to be offended. See, that's difficult. That's hard for people because some people have lived their whole lives being offended. But see, things happen in this life, and things happen in the church. There is not a person in here that does not have a right to be offended. Every person in here, you've got a right to be offended because something has happened to you. There's no one in here that everything has gone perfect for you every day of your life. Every person here, we have all experienced some things. We've all experienced something that gives us the right to be offended if we were to focus on that thing. But we have to give up that right. We have to let it go if we're going to be all that God has called us to be. Now, I know that that's not easy. It's not easy to not point fingers. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about this or not before, but just look at Adam and Eve. The only two people. Just two people that have to get along and everything go great, right? They've had no bad days. Everything's beautiful. Everything's nice. And then as soon as one bad thing happens, and look, we know it was a really bad thing. It was a really horrible thing. But still, as soon as one bad thing happens, what does Adam do? He starts pointing. It was her fault. It's not my fault. Now, we know that they both face the serpent, but it's interesting to me the way it's talked about in the New Testament. Because in uh, 2 Corinthians, did I give you these, Brian? 
2 Corinthians 11 and 3. I can see. It says, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So it says Eve was deceived by the serpent. In Romans 5.14, look what it says about Adam, though. You don't have it. I was trying to read that after out of a different version, Brian. That's why I didn't have that. Pull out my phone. Two seconds. Somebody, somebody check the text message and see if this was him or me. Did, did you get it? Somebody get him a microphone. I got you right here. Romans 5, 14. All right, it says, Still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Okay? He'll, he'll put it up in a minute. Maybe if you find it later, put it up. So going back. <laughs> He's about to make me move over to the love of the law and get mad at him. Okay, so with Adam and Eve, it says that Eve was deceived, but it pretty much just flat out says Adam sinned. An explicit command of God. He disobeyed an explicit command of God. Eve was just deceived. Now, we know that they both, yes, yeah, yeah, she ate the fruit first, but she was deceived, and Adam did it basically willfully, if you kind of look at the way the wording is there. See, Adam, when this happens, though, Adam has no concern for what just happened to Eve. He has no concern for the fact that she was just deceived and why she did what she did. He just wants God to know it's not his fault. That sounds like a good, some good Christian people, don't it? They're not worried about their brothers or sisters or what they're going for as long as everything's good with them, you know, as long as God knows it wasn't their fault. And so I guess people have been acting like people for a real long time. They're probably not going to stop. We need to expect it. See, we have to realize that sometimes good people make mistakes. Sometimes good people make bad decisions. Sometimes good people are deceived. And sometimes good people, I'm not going to say they do bad things, but they do things that end up with bad results. They might not have known it was going to be bad, but it ends up, it ends up being bad. When I was about six or seven years old, I was at my cousin Robert's house. He lived beside his grandfather. And his grandfather usually always had a garden planted, but this time he didn't, but the field was nice. And uh, it wasn't just plowed. It had kind of been rained on for a few weeks, but there was nothing in there. And he told us that we could do whatever we wanted. And uh, usually we weren't allowed to mess up his garden. So we decided that we were going to dig the greatest fort that had ever been dug in that garden since it had been there. And so we get shovels and hoes and we go out there and we dig down and we get it, the, the hole deep enough for us to jump down in it and you can't see the top of our head. Well, then we have this great idea that now we need to dig into the side of the hole so we can kind of like go underground and... Uh, so we start doing that, and we're just, we're working hard, man, we've been out there going at this, and now I've got the hoe in my hand, 
and uh, I'm chopping into the side of that hole, and Robert sticks his head in the hole. And uh, I didn't stop the hoe from coming down, so I just whacked Robert in the back of the head with the hoe real good, and he jumps up out of the hole real fast. <laughs> and he grabs the back of his head, and he's just looking at me like he can't believe I just hit him with this hoe. And then he looks at his hand, and it's covered in blood, and he just goes nuts. And so he's screaming and running to the house and crying. Before he makes it to the house, now I'm crying because I think I've killed him. He's, he's surely going to die from the loss of blood before he gets to the hospital. And his parents are panicked. Everybody's going crazy, and they're calling. I think my mom had to come get me. And uh, they take him to the hospital to get stitched up. And they're not even mad at me because I'm crying worse than he's crying by this point because I'm pretty sure he's dying. And he goes to the hospital, and he ends up not being a concussion or anything, just gets a few stitches, and he's, he's good to go. But see, this story reminds me of a lot of things that happen in the church. And yes, this is one of the things I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about. But see, we were working well together, but he got hurt. We were, we were working together on the same task. We had a common goal, but he still got hurt. See, we weren't mad at each other. No one was upset. Nothing was intentional, but he got hurt. No one wanted it to happen, but it still happened. And the question is, was it his fault for putting his head in the hole, or was it my fault for not being able to stop the hoe from coming down? Nobody knows. It probably was a little bit of both of our faults, or maybe neither one of our faults, but it doesn't change the fact he got hurt. There was damage that was done to the back of that head that had to be taken care of. And it affected our relationship. Now, it didn't affect our relationship for very long because we were kids. We were right back playing in no time. But see, as you get older, even though it seems like adults can take more pain, it seems like we have a harder time letting things go and getting over it than a kid does. And see, things happen. And sometimes, even when you get to the bottom of the story and realize that it's nobody's fault, that doesn't change the fact that there's still plenty of blame to go around and give to everyone that you want to give it to. So there's plenty of blame, but no one really did anything. No one had bad intentions, even though a bad thing has happened. And this kind of stuff, it happens, in, it happens anytime you're working with people, but it happens in the church uh, all the time. Because sometimes good people have miscommunication. Sometimes good people have disagreements. And sometimes good people get in conflict. Sometimes it seems like we stay in conflict, but it happens. It happens, but as Christians, we should be able to handle things without acting like the world. And that means without getting all uh, offended and trying to demonize the other person because we're like Adam pointing that finger. See, look at the disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had over John Mark. They're getting ready to do their second missionary journey. Barnabas wants to bring him along. Paul doesn't want to bring him along because he left them during the first verse time. And so they get, things get pretty heated. We don't know how heated. We don't get to see that part of it. But heated enough that they split up and Paul goes on with Silas and Barnabas, I guess, goes off with John Mark. That's what most believe. And so basically this was a type of a, mission, a ministry split. This was like a, kind of like a church split going on. But think about it. Neither guy was a bad guy. Sometimes things happen. Neither guy walked away from the Lord because of this decision. It was just something that happened. We don't think any less of Paul because of this. We don't think any less of Barnabas because of this. 
But somehow we get all bent out of shape when things like that happen today. Something like that happens and you know just one of them has to be lost in the world now and going to hell because they, they, this split up or that split up or this happened or that happened. People start choosing sides. They start running each other down. It, there's no, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to treat things like the world. Things happen sometimes and it just it is what it is. In Galatians 2 verse 11... through 14 and in and what's funny this is about uh when paul goes and confronts peter in front of everybody and in in my bible the the little title at the top says no return to the law and we're talking about that love of the law and that's what peter was dealing with it says now when when peter had come to antioch i withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from james he would eat with the gentiles but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, so in front of everyone, before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews. So Peter is eating with the Gentiles, following the law of love, treating people with love, honor, and respect, doing all this stuff. And then some men from James come and he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He falls back into a love of the law, the things that hit from his culture. And so Paul calls him out in front of everyone because the pressure from the other Jews being around has caused this. It's caused Peter to go from the law of love to a love of the law. But still, again, we don't think any less of Peter because of this, and we don't think any less of Paul for calling him out in front of everybody. And these men, they didn't start fighting and hate each other for the next 10 years. Peter dealt with it, and he moved on. He was still a great man of God, but he had some things out of order. And that's what happens to us. We get things out of order. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It's just sometimes we get things out of order. And it can be, it can be anything. And I think that's one of the issues that the church has a lot. We, we get out of order or someone else gets out of order or, or we just get things out of order and it causes issues. Another one of those midnight stories. When I was about 18 or 19, I can't remember, because, uh, but Monty was with me. We were working summers for my uncle doing exterminating work and uh he just sold one of the worst jobs ever and we had to go do it with some other guys it was so bad they sent a bunch of us but we had to put sand under a part under an apartment building so we knocked out all the vents we're shoveling sand through the vents and then you got to get underneath it and spread the sand out because of the the grade level underneath it and so uh back then i was about 120 pounds so i was one of the first guys they always sent underneath and you got to wear this protective equipment. That's the order that you're supposed to stay in. So you're supposed to have on your cross suit, your knee pads. Uh, you're supposed to have gloves on, and you're supposed to have on a dust mask. Well, the dust mask just wasn't going to happen anyways. So if, don't forget that. And now I've been under there a while. Your elbows and your knees and your hands get waterlogged in the wet sand, so the knee pads are gone. And uh, it just feels like you're crawling on sandpaper, so you just don't want to mess with it. And so we've been there all day, and we're about to finish up. And we've leveled out all this sand, and, and uh, we've been kind of talking junk all day back and forth to each other, cutting jokes. And, 
And so I'm, the order is I'm not supposed to take any of this equipment off till I get out from under the crawl space. But I'm trying to be funny with those guys, and I said, you know what, these gloves, my hands are so waterlogged. I said, I'm never wearing these gloves again. I hate this job. It's so bad. I said, I'm leaving them under here, and I just chunked them across the crawl space. And I go to crawl out or start my way out, and uh, I notice a big hump of sand over there. And so I said, well, let me level out this sand before I get over. And I go over it real fast with my hand, not realizing that the sand is up that way because there's a broken bottle underneath the sand. And so I slice my waterlogged pinky right across at the, where it bends, and the skin just kind of twists around on it. And uh, now I'm panicking because I'm bleeding under this, under this crawl space. And I'm, I'm, I'm at the furthest point. It always happens the furthest point from the crawl door. And so I yell outside. I think Monty might have been one of the ones outside. I said, hey, I'm coming out, which meant I'm about to dive through this vent hole. And so I got through the vent hole, and they grabbed me by the shoulders and snatched me out And uh, because the guy's hollering from underneath, hey, he's bleeding pretty bad. And so we're going to the hospital, me and Monty, and we're filthy. And uh, I call my mom. Mom, I've just cut my finger. I'm headed to the hospital. Don't, you know, moms, don't go to the hospital. <laughs> okay, mom. She says, just come to where I work. She's an RN. She says, it's just your finger. I'll get one of my doctors to stitch you up. It doesn't matter what it looks like. I says, okay. So I head over there. I get there, and they bring me right on back, and the doctor comes in. Now, remember, I'm here because I got out of order. If I'd have left my equipment on until I got out from under the crawl space, I'd have never been there. But the doctor comes in. He looks at it, and he says, yeah, you got that pretty good, so here's what we'll do. Oh, I got to go see some patients. I'll be right back. I'm going to numb your finger up. Once we numb it, then we're going to clean it out good, and then I'll stitch it up. So he's going to numb it, clean it, stitch it. That's the order. I'm sitting there talking junk with Monty about what happened that day, and this nurse comes in. They've all heard about my mom's son being in there. Uh, I guess probably how dirty I was, too, and cut up. She comes in, and she says, hey, come on over here. We're, I'm going to start cleaning your finger. I said, but the doctor said that he's going to numb my finger before he cleans it. Isn't it going to hurt? She said, oh, they wouldn't numb your finger at the hospital. Get on over here. Now, I should have listened to the man who knew what he was talking about, which is probably a sermon in itself. Listen to the man who knows what he's talking about. But so many times we let other people influence and don't listen to God. So I said, okay. So I walk over there, and she gets this big Q-tip with iodine all over, and she starts cleaning my finger, and I start yelling, ow, because I don't like pain. So I'm whining, oh, ah, oh, oh, you know, and she turns around with this disgusted look. She's like, will you just stop whining? I'm not even near the wound. <laughs> and I said, I told her, I said, look, lady, my pinky's not very big. If you're touching my pinky, you're near the wound, and it hurts. <laughs> and Monty's behind me laughing. And uh, so she says, just get your hand back over here. So I put my hand back over there, and she starts again. And, and, I, and she was not any more gentle the second time. And so now I'm, when I'm saying ow, she's just kind of like tightening her grip up. So I start tightening my fist up. And she turns around and sees me like this, and she says, you better not hit me. I said, well, you better let that finger go then. And so she lets my finger, well, before she lets it go, she takes that Q-tip and jabs it right in the cut and then just throws it in the sink and kind of iodine kind of went everywhere. She made, really made a mess. And she storms out. She's mad at me. 
and uh, Monty starts dying. He is like on. He's on his hand. He's on his knees in the doctor chair, acting crazy behind the back, her back the whole time, trying to make me laugh. And so he's just rolling around in there. And the doctor comes in. He sees the mess in the sink, and he sees I got iodine all over my finger. He says, "What is going on in here?" Some crazy nurse came in here and started cleaning my finger. He said, "Why did you let her do that?" He wasn't mad at her. He was mad at me. I said, I said, well, she said she needed to clean. He said, yeah, but I told you I was going to numb it first. Why would you let her clean it? I don't know, Doc. It just seemed like the thing to do. She's wearing one of those outfits. You just let them go with it. <laughs> but he just kind of shook his head, and he got the stuff out. He numbs my finger up, and they scrubbed the mess out of that finger, and I didn't feel a thing. And then they stitched it up, no pain at all, and everything. I was just good to go if I would have just listened to him and stayed in order. Now, whose fault was it that I was out of order under the cross space? Mine. Even though that lady was hurting my finger, whose fault was it that I was... It was the same thing. I, she talked me into it, but I got out of order again. I wasn't doing anything bad. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I wasn't a bad person. But when you get out of order, sometimes things get a little painful. If I would have just listened to what he said and what really... And this is what the story sounds that makes me think of church the most is the funny thing is, is guess who was the most upset when I left? The lady who hurt me. She hurt me, but she was the one that was upset. Have you ever had anybody hurt you and then all of a sudden they act like you did it to them? They're more upset about the thing and they're the one who did the whole entire thing. It was had nothing to do with you other than you let them talk you into probably getting out of order in something. Yeah, she was furious. I don't know if she, because, I don't know, maybe the doctor said something to her, but she was not happy at all, and I was the one who actually got hurt. See, because of this, stuff happens all the time, and you can probably fill in your own story with that as well, with, with conflict that you've had in church or at work or with family members or whatever, but that's what causes us to move from the law of love into a love of the law. Because we start to think that, well, if maybe if I just add a few more rules, then this will never happen again because this will keep someone from getting out of order and hurting me like the last person who got out of order and hurt me. And so we've added more and more rules, but we've never dealt with the injuries that have been done to the body or that have been done to the church. Did you know that the injured body will continue to injure the body? An injured body will continue to injure that body. And what I mean by that, maybe you've had this if you've been in sports or military or something and, and you, you hurt your knee, and then you'll see that person, all of a sudden they'll start, when they're, they, they, they're not hurt bad enough that they have to stop and go get it taken care of by the doctor, but they take a few Advil and then they're playing the next time and they're always like landing on one leg so they don't hurt the knee that's hurt. Before long, guess what happens? The other knee's hurt. Or they've got something going on in their back and they're, they're walking funny. And then before they know it, they're having problems with their hip or their knee or their feet or something. It's because they're trying to compensate for an injury that's in the body and it winds up getting things out of alignment and causes more injuries to the body. You can probably tell where I'm going with this. The church is full of injuries. Good Christian people, they've been hurt over and over and over again, and we keep holding on to things because we have a right to be offended that we don't want to let go of, and it's just going to cause you more and more injury.
it's not gonna it's not gonna be it's not even affecting the person that you're upset with probably but we've got to get this out of the body and so the best way I know to describe this of what it's doing to hold you back is with two basketball players and the first one is Grant Hill Grant Hill that played at Duke when they won those championships back in the 90s and then he went on to Detroit and everybody thought he was going to be like the next Michael Jordan. And he had all the skills to do it and probably would have done it, but he started getting hurt. He started having these weird injuries, and I believe it was the small like hairline fractures in his ankles, or one of his ankles, I believe is what it was. But they couldn't ever figure out what would happen. He would rest up, everything's good, he'd come back, he's hurt again. He'd get surgery, come back, he's hurt again. And so he was getting ready to be the next best thing, and he just starts dropping. Didn't look like he was going to even have a career, but then he ended up uh, getting traded to Orlando. Then he gets traded to Phoenix. And at this time, Phoenix had the best doctors in the NBA. And the reason they had the best doctors in the NBA, which he found out when he got there, they wanted to make a full physical of him, and he kept wanting to talk about his ankle, and they weren't worried about his ankle. And they said, we want to find out what's, what's causing this, that's causing that, that's causing this, that's making you hurt your ankle. We don't want to treat your ankle. We want to treat the thing at the top that's causing all the issues. And so whatever they found with him, I don't know, but it wound up, they rejuvenated his career, and he had some of his healthiest years at the end of his career in Phoenix. And uh, he ended up having a pretty successful career, but he never achieved his potential. And there's a lot of us that will fall into that category. We're good people. We're going to do good things. We're going to be faithful at church. We're going to do all this and that. But I'm telling you, if you do not deal with the hurts and the pains that are causing you to live with the love of the law and trying to set everything up to protect yourself instead of taking a risk with God, you're never going to reach your potential. You're not a bad person. Doesn't mean you can't accomplish some things, but you're never going to be the amazing thing that God has for you to be. And so uh, the next person is Stephen Curry. Steph Curry, when he came into the league, even though everybody thought he was overrated, still Golden State took a chance on him, and he starts getting ankle sprains right off the bat. He's hurt all the time. They're thinking he's going to be a draft bust. He's never going to be healthy enough to do anything and become the player that they thought he might be able to become. And everybody thought it was just a horrible decision. Well, he ends up talking to some doctor, and the doctor has a theory. And he says, I think that you keep spraining your ankle because your ankle's full of scar tissue where you've sprained your ankle. So basically the doctor was saying your injured body is causing you to injure your body. I think if we do this experimental surgery on you, and I go in and I remove that scar tissue, that then your body will be able to heal itself properly. So he really wasn't even going in to repair the ankle. All he was, the main thing he was doing was taking out the past injuries, the trauma from the past injuries. Remove the scar tissue and then let your body do what it's meant to do and you'll be as healthy as anybody else, and they did. And Steph Curry has changed the game. I don't like the changes, but they've still happened. He's changed the game, he's won league MVP, he's won multiple championships. He is just, he's, now he's just like, everybody knows who he is just about if you watch basketball at all. And it all happened because he got rid of that injury at his body in, at a, in his body at an earlier time than Grant Hill. What if Grant Hill would have found the right doctor the first time he got hurt? We probably would be talking about him the way people talk about Steph Curry now. Same thing. They both, they both, the potential was there the whole entire time, 
but his issue was dealt with a lot sooner. See, that's the way I want it to be for every person in here. Quit holding on to that stuff. Don't let it cause more and more injuries uh, in your life. And uh, it, it happens. You just get, you, sometimes when somebody hurts you, man, it would just, it would just consume you. And uh, we've all experienced it. And, and maybe this has been you. I've had this happen to me, and I've seen it happen to people where you get like, it's like you can't see anything else, right? That person disrespects you or that person, whatever. Or, or maybe it's like with me and Robert. Maybe it won't even intentional. It's just something that happened. And whatever the event is, you can't let it go. Um, do, you ever, do you remember me telling about the guy uh, where the tree fell on the truck? That same guy, I had sold a bed bug treatment to a lady I knew, a sweet older lady, and he had to go do it. I had to go meet him over there to make sure everything was going okay, and I get there, and he is wide open mad. I have no clue what's wrong. I'm like, what is going on with you? He's like, this woman's a liar. I said, this is like a sweet old lady. What are you talking about? She, she's a liar. You can't believe nothing this woman says, and he's just furious. And I'm like, you need to calm down, Jeremiah. Everything's all right, you know. And the other guy working with him walks by just as cool and calm. I said, hey, what's going on him? I don't know. And he just walks off. And I said, she's not a liar. I know this lady. He's like, no, she's a liar. She's got somebody hiding in this house. And now I'm thinking, well, what have you been drinking? <laughs> and he's like, uh, somebody's in this house. I know it. I saw them. He said, I said, so what's the big deal? He said, I said, she's allowed to have somebody in her house, Jeremiah. What's the problem? He said, yeah, but I asked her, was anybody in the house? Because everybody needs to leave before I start this treatment. And she told me, that, no, nobody was in there but her. She's all alone. He said, she's a liar. I said, Jeremiah, she's not lying. I'm sure. Did you check the house? Yeah. Did you find anybody? No, but he's here. I said, hey, you know he's here? He said, because I saw him. It's a little bald-headed man. I saw him walking around in the house. And I just started shaking my head. I said, Jeremiah, tell me exactly what you saw. Well, I knocked on the door, and I heard the lady say, uh, I'll be there in a minute. And then I saw a little bald-headed man walking through the house when I was looking through the window. I said, Jeremiah, are you so blind you can't tell that little old lady's wearing a wig? What are you talking about? I said, she is the little bald-headed old man. I said, she told you to hold on a second so she could put on her wig and glasses. She didn't want to open the door without her hair on. She doesn't have any hair on her head. And he's like, you sure there's not an old man in his house? <laughs> I said, Jeremiah, there's not an old man. He said, I know what I saw. I said, Jeremiah, I've seen her wigs before when she's come to the door with a hat on. She's, I, how can you not tell that that is a wig that that lady is wearing? And because, uh, I, I mean, she she was to the point where I mean, it was obvious she had she couldn't she the way her condition was, she couldn't get a good one. So it took me about five minutes to get through to him that what he saw wasn't what he saw or what he believed wasn't what he saw. Because he had immediately got offended because he didn't like people to lie to him. That's what I can't stand people to lie to me either. But just because he thought she thought she had lied to him. He could see nothing else. I came back a few hours later. He had finally calmed down and everything, everything was good. But that's what I mean. It doesn't always have to be this huge thing. It's amazing the things that 
if you just start to take an account of that we get offended by, that really, why are we wasting our time with it? In Matthew 7, verse 3, And I'm finishing up with this. It says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I know you've all heard this scripture before, and the whole focus is on calling you a hypocrite and telling you how horrible you are for judging other people. That's not what I'm talking about. That part is so obvious. I want to look at the last part of verse 5. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We're supposed to help each other. A lot of people stop with the whole thing about fussing at you, about removing the plank from your eye, but they never get to the point. You are supposed to help get the speck out of your brother's eye. We're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to help our neighbor out. We're supposed to help them. Whatever that issue is, maybe they got a plank too. Maybe it's not a speck. We're supposed to help them with that. But the point is you are never going to be able to be the hands and feet of Christ the way that you're meant to be until you deal with the things in your own life. Some people, they just take that scripture to mean they don't do anything for anybody else. No, we're supposed to help our brother and our sister that's in need. But to do that, to be our best at doing that, we have to deal with the things in our own life. It's time that we give up the right to be offended so that we can deal with the injuries of the past and we can be the body of Christ and the family of God that we've been called to be. That's what it should be for every, every one of us. It's not something about, oh, if you're still letting that bother you, you're so weak-minded or you're so this or that. No, it's because we want, we want to be a good brother and sister to everybody that we meet so they can reach their full potential to be the good brother and sister God's called them to be to the people he's going to put in their path so they can reach their full potential instead of us constantly having the body of Christ injured because of injuries that have never been dealt with. And it's because we should be living by the law of love and let go of a love of the law. Whatever that means to you, whatever that thing is that you think that you can regulate and, uh, and talk, you know, I've said this before. It's just like we, we have all these rules in the church because we're trying to keep people from doing bad things. People are going to do bad things if they want to do them. You're not going to stop it. Uh, one person said, I can't remember who it was, talking about even uh, out of 12, even Jesus had a Judas. And we've got everything set up in the church to try and stop there from being a Judas instead of setting things up in the church to try to make those 11 apostles that change the world. There's a big difference. One is the love of the law, trying to stop there from being a Judas, and the other one is the law of love, trying to push those other ones forward to be all that God's called them to be. It's all about the way you look at it and the way you think and the mindset that you have. And so God has called us to live by the law of love, and so I want that for every person in here, and I hope that you want it too. And I'm going to pray over us all today because like I already said, every person in here... If you've, been, if you've been offended lately or you've been living in a place of offense, please don't beat yourself up. Again, every one of us, we have a right. Something's happened to every person in here. Everybody has a reason. Everybody has a right. But we have to give up that right if we want to be what God's called us to be. Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you for your love. 
Lord, we thank you that you've called us to love, to love you and to love others, Lord. Lord, there's so many things that we can measure our lives with, but God, I just pray that all of us will spend some time this week considering how are, how are we loving. Are we loving well? Lord, are we loving you? Are we loving others the way that we should? Are we living a life of love the way that you've called us to, God? Lord, I pray that we would go after that like never before, that we would give up the right to be offended, that we would forgive those that we need to forgive, and we would just let go of those things and and Lord, entrust you, God, not try to protect ourselves so much that we end up limiting what we can do for the kingdom, God. Lord, any injuries or trauma that we've, that we've experienced, Lord, that's causing us to go toward a, a love of the law, God, we just, want, we just ask your healing touch to be in those areas right now, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever it is. Lord, that we will be able to let things go. Lord, that we will be able to allow you, the great physician, to fix us up so that we can reach our full potential in you. Lord, I pray for every physical need here today, all those that are sick in body. Lord, we continue to lift up John, and we continue to lift up Kevin. We thank you for what you're doing in their lives, God. And Lord, we just ask for complete and total healing. Lord, we still continue to pray for Nathan, God, that you continue to give him more and more strength as he goes, uh, goes after this, this physical healing that he needs so desperately, God, that you would just put more and more uh, fight in all these men, God, to, to not give up, to keep fighting and to keep trusting you at your word. And Lord, I pray that for all of us here, that we would do that same thing, God, that we would hold on to every promise, and we will not be swayed in any way by what this world or what the enemy has to say. And God, we give you the honor and the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.